months ago, and when Dylan spoke, I felt like he had a message for our church. So Dylan is from Normal, Illinois. I don't know if that's near Abnormal, Illinois. That's probably an old joke. I don't know. Sorry. Um, he graduated from Illinois State University in 2017, and after graduating, he spent four years working with the traveling team. And the traveling team goes around college campuses and, and different areas and speaks to youth and challenges them to go to unreached people groups, just what Kyle was talking about. So would you welcome Dylan as he comes and shares from the Word? Hey, well, like John said, my name is Dylan, and he also said that I'm from Illinois. So has anyone ever been to, to Illinois before by a show of hands? Okay, sweet, a few of us. All right, for, for those of us who have been there, or maybe if we haven't, I'll tell you a little bit about Illinois. Uh, Illinois is the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> it's, like, it's like so bad that growing up in Illinois, I had like a bucket list, and, and at the top of the bucket list was just to leave. Like I just wanted to get out of Illinois at like all costs. And I'm sure that some of us probably have similar bucket lists. I remember thinking that, like, leaving Illinois was at the top, and specifically, I wanted to go to California. I thought that California was, like, the coolest state ever as a kid. And so a couple of years ago, I had the, the privilege and the opportunity to go to California for the first time. And I remember I went with my friends, and the first thing we did, we, we went to the beach. And we, were, we got to the beach. It's a beautiful, sunny day. We're running along the shore to go swimming out in the ocean. And there are these warning signs and these warning flags lining up and down the beach. And these warning signs were warning us and other swimmers of rip currents. And I remember thinking in that moment, I thought, I'm never going to get caught in a rip current. Until about two minutes later, and I was caught in a rip current. And, you know, I, despite being from the Midwest, like, I know a few things about the ocean. Like, one, it's really big. Two, I've seen jaws. And I want nothing to do with sharks, that's for sure. And I'm thinking, at three, I'm thinking, like, I have this this deep, like, spiritual moment with God in this rip current. I'm thinking, God, are you really going to let me die single? Come on. Like, <laughs> like, sharks and singleness, I'm not about that. That's for sure. I'm also thinking, like, I did swim team growing up, so I know butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, free, so I'm going to swim as hard as I can to get back to shore, and I'll be fine. But that's not how rip currents work. Uh, rip current is basically like this massive force of water that pulls everything out into open ocean. And so I start swimming as hard as I can, and it doesn't do anything. In fact, I just kept getting pulled farther and farther and farther out into open ocean. And this was like legitimately one of the scariest moments of my life. Like I had no idea what to do. I had nothing to stand on. I had no idea which direction to swim. I did not know what to do next. And so I remembered that the only way to get out of a rip current is to swim out of it. Like, you can't swim against it. It's too strong. You have to swim out of it, like left or right. And at this point, I didn't even know which direction was left or right until I fixed my eyes on something that was consistent. And I fixed my eyes on something that was unchanging. And the only thing that was consistent and unchanging in that moment was the shore. And even though the shore was far away at this point, as soon as I saw it, I knew exactly which direction I had to swim. I just had to swim parallel with the shore to get out of the current. So follow me here, because what I believe and what I believe the Bible says is that what is true of the current of the ocean is true of the current of our world as well. What's true of the current of the ocean is true of the current of our world. And what I mean by that is that we are caught in a current of the world. And that current can be made up of a lot of different things. It can be made up of maybe our, our family, our friends. If we're in school, maybe it's our, our GPA or our major. Or maybe if we're past school, it's our, our job or making a lot of money. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's retiring early. 
Those things are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but they can be things that are pulling us farther from God and even farther from his purpose for our life. You know, the scary thing is about a rip current is that you don't actually know that you're caught in one until it's too late. And I can guarantee that if we live our lives caught in the current of the world, we will waste our lives. We will waste our lives on things that do not matter, especially things that don't matter for eternity. So how do we get out of the current of the world? We don't want to waste our lives. How do we get out of the current of the world? Well, the same thing is true. We have to fix our eyes on something that's consistent. We have to fix our eyes on something that's unchanging. And I think if I've learned anything during the season of COVID or anything in my life in general, it's that God is the only one who's consistent and unchanging. And his word is the only thing that's consistent and unchanging. So how do we get out of the current of the world? We have to align our lives with God. We have to align our lives with what God is doing in his word. And what God is doing in his word is he is on a mission to reach every tribe, tongue, people, and nation with the good news of Jesus. He's on this mission. And what's incredible about God's mission is that he invites us to join him in that mission. Throughout all of scripture, God is working to reach all people with the gospel. And he invites us to join him in that mission to get out of the current of the world and live our lives for things that truly matter. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to go from, from Genesis to Revelation in the next 30 minutes. And uh, I know that sounds crazy, so I want you guys to like fasten your seatbelts and get ready because we're, we're about to fly. So I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to finish in Revelation. We're going to see this mission that God is on. So you guys ready to do that? Sound good? All right, sweet. Let's do it. All right, I'm going to start in the very beginning. I'm going to start in Genesis. And in Genesis, if we're familiar with the Bible, we know that in Genesis, God creates all things. Specifically, he creates mankind. He creates Adam and Eve. And to Adam and Eve, in Genesis 1, verse 28, God gives the first command in Scripture. And he says to Adam and Eve, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So basically, God tells Adam and Eve, like, make a lot of babies and spread out throughout the entire world. But two chapters after this is Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. And the world gets so bad after this that essentially God hits the reset button. He floods the whole earth. He starts over again with Noah and his family. And as Noah and his family are getting off the ark, God repeats himself. What he had already said to Adam and Eve, he repeats again to Noah and to his family. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So, so why is God repeating himself? Well, it's because from the very beginning of the Bible, God desires this world to be filled with people who know him, who love him, and to worship him. But again, just two chapters after this is the story of the Tower of Babel. And in this story, we're doing the exact opposite of what God has called us to do. So he's told us to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and instead we're building a tower to be like God himself. And so in response to this, God spreads out cultures and languages and nations across the entire world. And we arrive at this point of Genesis chapter 12. So Genesis chapter 12 is one of the most foundational passages in the entire Bible. And you may be thinking like, Dylan, how, how is Genesis 12 the most foundational passage in the Bible? I've never read it. Well, Genesis chapter 12 is so foundational because we see the mission of God really get going here in Genesis 12. Because at Genesis 1 through 11, we see that God desires the worship of all people. But it doesn't look like that. So what is God going to do in response? So God looks down on Abraham in Genesis 12, and this is what God says to Abraham. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
So basically, God looks down on Abraham here in Genesis 12. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you like crazy. But it's not just for you. And it's not even just for your family. Because God continues in verse 3, and he says this. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God looks down at Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you like crazy. It's not just for you, though. It's not just for your family. But it's actually so that all nations on earth will be blessed through you. So God sets up this pattern. God sets up this theme that he's going to use throughout the rest of the Bible, throughout the rest of history. And that pattern is this, that God blesses his people to be a blessing to reach all nations. God blesses his people to be a blessing, to reach all nations. We see that all nations is the end goal here. This is what God is about. This is what God is doing. He is on a mission to reach all nations, and he's going to use his people to do it. So God starts here in Genesis. He continues with Abraham's son. His name is Isaac. So God says to Isaac, Isaac, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. To Isaac's son, his name is Jacob, God says to Jacob, your, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So we haven't even made it out of Genesis yet, and God is already repeating this promise to Abraham, to his son Isaac, and to his son Jacob. This is what we're about. We're about reaching all nations, all families, all people on earth. God is setting up a, a family business in a way. This family business, his people are supposed to be about reaching all nations. We will just follow this pattern, this theme that what God is doing throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And what God is doing, this mission that he's on, continues into some of the most famous Old Testament stories in the Bible. So this is a great example of one. It's the story of David and Goliath. Now, the story of David and Goliath is, is an incredible story. We love this story. Uh, to sum it up, it's like a, a short dude and a tall dude and an awesome headshot. And we love this story. It's great. It's like the plot of every sports movie ever made. It's a great story. What's so interesting about the story of David and Goliath, though, is that so often we tend to make this story about us. We love to say that if God is on my side, then there's no giant that can stand against me. And that's, that's 100% true, that, that God defeats our giants, and praise God that he does that. But God is up to something bigger than just giving us an encouraging story. And I can prove that to be true as David goes out to kill Goliath. This is what he screams in Goliath's face. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, Goliath, and I will strike you down that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. See, David knows why God is going to bless him with victory. And it's so that the entire earth knows who God is. And I can prove this to be true because we're sitting here thousands of years later and thousands of miles away, and God is still using this story to make his name known in the entire earth. We see God's mission continue into, into the poetry of the Bible, into the Psalms, into Psalm 4610. One of the most famous Psalms in the Bible is this one. It says, be still and know that I am God. And we could, we could walk into any Christian bookstore in the Kent area, in the Seattle area. We would see this verse plastered all over coffee mugs and journals and canvases painted by Bob Ross. Like this verse is everywhere. Be still and know that I am God. Now this is actually Psalm 4610, uh, but it's just the first half of Psalm 4610. Like this is Psalm 4610 part A. So there's a second half to Psalm 4610. There's a part B. My question is, what is so bad about part B? Like, what's so bad about part B that we just cut it off? 
Like we just cut it off and we don't even know what it says. Does it say something like, be still and know that I am God and thou shalt not watch the Seahawks on Sunday or something like that? Like what, what could be so bad? What could be so bad about this verse? In Psalm 46.10, in its entirety says this. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's so easy for us to live our lives caught in the current of the world. And when that happens, we tend to separate the blessing that God gives us from the responsibility. We, we love to be still and know that God is God, and we, we need to do that. We need to rest in that promise, but with that promise comes a responsibility. God is going to be made known among the nations and in the entire earth. And I'm not saying it's like a bad thing to be blessed by God. We should, we should want that. We should desire that. Psalm 67 talks about this. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Like, that sounds amazing. I want God's face to shine upon this church. But why do we want that? It's so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Again, God has blessed us to be a blessing to reach all nations. God's mission continues into one of my favorite Old Testament Bible stories. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny, as I like to call these guys. So let me, let me sum up this story for you if the details are a little fuzzy, because this, this story is incredible. Uh, the story of Rakshak and Benny goes something like this. Rakshak and Benny are three dudes who are living in ancient Babylon. And in ancient Babylon, there's this crazy psycho king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar commands all people in Babylon to bow down and worship this giant golden statue. And if you don't do that, you're going to be thrown into a furnace, a fiery furnace. So to put this in like today's context, this would be like, this would be like John uh, driving to church this morning, and he's going 15 over in the speed limit, and so uh, he gets pulled over, and instead of a $100 fine, he gets 100 minutes in a furnace. Like, this is crazy. This is crazy. But Nebuchadnezzar's just like tossing people into furnaces. So Rakshak and Benny, they, they don't bow down and worship the idol. They take the furnace instead. So Rakshak and Benny are just walking around in there. They, they don't die, which is incredible. They're like, God saves them from, from burning in this furnace, but Nebuchadnezzar's like never seen anything like this happen before. Like no one's ever survived this. And so he, he, he turns it up a little bit hotter, like 450 on high or something like that. Like little pizza pockets in there. I don't know. They just like, they, they, they still don't die. Instead, there's a, there's a fourth guy that shows up. So they're, they're not dying at this point. They are now multiplying. And, and at this point, Nebuchadnezzar's like got to pull these guys out and have a conversation with them because he's never seen this happen before. So Nebuchadnezzar pulls Rakshak and Benny out of the furnace, talks to him, and this is Nebuchadnezzar's response. He says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I'm going to pause here for one second, because Nebuchadnezzar is an idol-worshiping king. And here in Daniel 3.28, he is worshiping God. Like God, is, God is changing Nebuchadnezzar's heart. But God doesn't just stop with individual heart change, because we see Nebuchadnezzar continue he says, therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue you in this way. So limb from limb is for sure still like super crazy. Like I'm not defending that at all. Like, God is still working on Nebuchadnezzar's heart, obviously. <laughs> but what I want us to see here is what Nebuchadnezzar sees. And that's that this God is so great, this God is so good that all people, all nations, and all languages need to know him. What's true of Nebuchadnezzar here is true of us as followers of Jesus, that God is changing our hearts to become more like his, 
but it doesn't just stop with us. We've been given the gospel so we can share it with others as well. God's mission continues in the prophets. In Isaiah 49, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In Habakkuk, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Malachi, for from the rising of the sun into its setting, my name will be great among the nations. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. So we just walked from Genesis to Malachi. From the first book of the Old Testament to the last book of the Old Testament. And it's so clear. It's so obvious that this is what God is about. He's about reaching all people. He's about reaching all nations with the good news of the gospel. And I think so often when we talk about God's mission, and we talk about missions, we talk about missionaries, we talk about Mission Sunday, it's so easy for us to just focus on one verse, maybe focus on the Great Commission. And in a second, we're going to get there. But this is something that God has always been about. This is something that God has always been doing. All of Scripture is about this. All of Scripture is about God's mission. I didn't even have time to talk about stories like Daniel in the lion's den or the building of the temple or Solomon's wisdom or Rahab and the spies. All of these things are happening so that the glory of God is pushed forward so that people who don't know God have the opportunity to know him for the first time. This is what God is about. But for 20 years of my life, I just missed this. I I had no idea. I grew up in the church. I had a lot of these verses, these stories memorized, and I had no idea that this is what God was doing. And it took a friend coming up to me and showing me that this is what God is about. This is what God is doing in his word. And ever since then, my my life has changed. And this journey with God actually reminds me a lot of my journey with coffee. Yes, my journey with coffee. Do we have any coffee fans in the house? We're in like the the land of Starbucks. Like, of course we have coffee fans in the house. All right, let me me tell you about my, my journey with coffee. So I first started drinking coffee when I was in college. I went to Illinois State University. I lived with some of my best friends in normal Illinois. That is a real place. That's where I grew up, normal Illinois. And I lived with my best friends in this house called the Dude Ranch. So it was me and eight other guys in this house. And whatever you're picturing of the Dude Ranch is true. Like, that place is a mess. But I lived there with some of my best friends. One of my best friends, his name was Brady. Brady introduced me to this drug called Folger's Coffee. And I thought that Folger's Coffee was like the greatest thing in the entire world. I was asking all of my 90-year-old friends, they all agreed with me that Folger's was the best. It doesn't get any better than Folger's. Until I had another friend come up to me about two years after that. And he introduced me to Starbucks for the first time. And, uh, you know, I'm, after drinking this, this Starbucks cup of coffee, I'm, like, downloading the app. I'm getting free drinks on my birthday, free refill stars. Like, I'm about Starbucks coffee. And until, uh, until two years after that, I had a friend. His name is Tanner. Tanner's actually clicking through my slides right now. Tanner uh, came up to me, and he really, really uh, gently put his arm around me, and he says, uh, Dylan, there's a time. There's a place for Starbucks. And the time is never in the places in the trash. And so he took my Starbucks and he like threw it away and he handed me the good stuff. Like he handed me a V60 pour over with single origin beans. And after this, the game changes. The game changes. Because I no longer want Starbucks. I no longer want Folgers. Like I only want the good stuff. And some of you are on board with me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's okay. Because the point of the story is not coffee. Now, what I, what I realized is that my, my journey with coffee was actually really symbolic of my journey with Jesus. And what I mean by that is that 
Now, I first started following Jesus when I was in college, and when that happened, I just viewed my relationship with Jesus as it was just about me and him. Like, there was nothing else that mattered. There was no one else that mattered. I'm just going to take these blessings that Jesus gives me, and I'm just going to keep them to myself. But it took a friend coming up to me and showing me that, yes, yes, Jesus loves you, but he also loves the world as well. And he loves all people on earth, and he wants all nations on earth to know him. And I think one of the best places to see this illustrated is the most famous verse in the Bible. It's John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible because within it is the good news of the gospel. Like within it is the fact that we were created to be in a relationship with God, but we messed it up. We're bad people, we're sinful people, and there's nothing that we could do to get back into a relationship with God. So God, in his grace, he sends his son Jesus to live a perfect life for us, to die on a cross for our sin, and to rise again three days later to prove his victory over death. And when Jesus does this, he invites us to turn from our sin and to trust in him so that our broken relationship with God can be restored. And that is the greatest news in the entire world. Like, we cannot miss the good news of John 3.16. If we are following Jesus this morning, this, like, this is what we make the obsession of our hearts. This is what we can't get over. We meditate on this gospel day in and day out. And if you are not following Jesus this morning, I invite you to do that because it is the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life is following Jesus and knowing him. Regardless of where we're at this morning, I think that we've, we've probably heard John 3.16 at some point. And I think for, I know for me, like growing up in the church, I just began to put my name in where it says the world. So I read this verse, is for God so loved Dylan that he gave his only son. And praise God that that's true, that, that Jesus loves us individually. He wants an individual relationship with us. But I think we have to take our names back out and replace it with what it actually says. It says that Jesus came to die so that the world can know God. Jesus proves this to be true when he, uh, he rises from the grave, and he walks on earth for about 40 days after he, he, he resurrects from the grave. And in these last 40 days, he gives some of his best, some of his most well-known teachings. So this is one of them. I talked about it a few minutes ago. It's known as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And again, this is what we always talk about on a mission Sunday, the Great Commission, but this is something that God has always been about. This is what God has always been doing. Jesus is just pushing this promise and this mission forward to his disciples and to his church. So what Jesus says here actually sounds really similar to another verse in Mark. Jesus says in Mark, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Luke, he says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In John, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And in Acts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it turns out, that the Great Commission is not just one verse at the end of Matthew. But Jesus actually repeats himself five different times in five different books of the Bible and in five different geographical locations. So why, why did Jesus do this? 
honestly, I think it's because he knows me. I think it's because he knows us. And he knows that if the Great Commission was just one verse at the end of Matthew, that we would tend to make it an option. That we would tend to make it an option to be considered rather than a command to be obeyed. But Jesus makes this very clear, like five times clear. This is not just an option. But this is what we do. This is who we are as followers of Jesus. And I think that Acts 1-9 is... Maybe Acts 1-8 is one of my favorites because in Acts 1-9, Jesus just like ascends into heaven. And I'm sure his disciples are probably left super confused of what just happened. But I don't think they're wondering what they're supposed to do next. Because they spent the last three years with Jesus. They've seen how he's lived his life, how he's done his ministry, and he's left these words ringing in his disciples' ears. They aren't questioning what they're supposed to do next. They're supposed to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. The same thing is true of us. The same thing is true of Jesus' church. And we see the disciples do this. Like, this is what they're about. They're, they're about it after the Holy Spirit comes so much that they're imprisoned. They're even murdered for the name of Jesus. We can see in the life of Paul. Paul says in Galatians 3, he says this. He says, if you are Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, you're heirs according to the promise. So what Paul is saying here in Galatians, if you're following Jesus, then you're a part of the family business. And the family business is making Jesus known to the ends of the earth. Like, this is just who we are. This is what we do. The missions is not just for the super spiritual Christians. Missions is not just for the, the people who are really following Jesus closely. No, this is for everyone. This is for all Christians. This is for all of Jesus' church. Like, this is what we're about. This is what we're doing. We're, we, we're a part of the family business. This idea of a family business actually reminds me a lot of the family business that my grandpa started back home in Illinois. And uh, it's a, it, was, it was a small grocery store at the time. Believe it or not, uh, it's, actually, it's actually known as, as Walmart today, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I'm just kidding. That's not true. No. <laughs> no. No, that's definitely not true. No, it's a tiny little grocery store you've never heard of before. It's called Dave's Supermarket, and it's in Fairbury, Illinois, and it is definitely not Walmart. But as a kid, I remember thinking that, you know, this is, a, this is a really big deal for me growing up as a kid because I remember walking up and down the aisles. I remember in sixth grade, I, I draw a picture of what I want to be when I grow up, and it's a stick figure of me standing next to Dave's Supermarket. And I'm working there during the summers. I'm working holidays. Like, I, I go to college to get a marketing degree to just go live at, at Dave's Supermarket and then just, like, die there, I guess. That was just, like, my life plan to go live and die at Dave's supermarket. I remember as I went to college and I got to my senior year of college, I knew what everyone else expected of me. I knew what everyone else wanted for me and wanted for my life. I knew what my, my parents wanted, what my friends wanted, my, my professors wanted. Like they wanted me to go work at Dave's. But I never seemed to stop and ask God. I never seemed to stop and ask God, God, what, what do you want? What do, what do you want with my degree? What do you want with the next couple of years? What do you want with the rest of my life? And I think regardless, regardless of where we are this morning, regardless, regardless of how old we are, we're all in a similar position. But because we're constantly making decisions of the, the present, we're constantly making decisions of the future. And my challenge and my encouragement this morning is to ask God, God, God what do you want? What do you want with my degree? What do you want with this year? What do you want with my money? What do you want with the rest of my life? And the reason why I think it's so important that we ask that question is actually because of a place in the world. And that place in the world is known as the 1040 window. 
the 1040 window. And maybe some of us are familiar with the 1040 window, maybe not. I'll tell you a little bit about it. So the 1040 window is named this because it, it stretches from 10 degrees above the equator to 40 degrees above the equator from West Africa through the Middle East, out past India, China, Southeast Asia, and Japan. Let me, let me give you some statistics about the 1040 window. So within the 1040 window, there's approximately 5 billion people who live there. 5 billion people with a B. It's about two-thirds of the world's population that live in this box. And out of these 5 billion people, 3 billion of them are considered unreached. 3 billion are considered unreached. So let me tell you what unreached means, because unreached is different from unsaved. So someone who's unsaved is someone who is not following Jesus, someone who's not following Jesus. And we know lots of unsaved people, people who we work with, people who we go to class with, people who are our neighbors, people who are not following Jesus. And I'm not minimizing that. Like, I want us to be faithful in sharing the gospel wherever we go. But when I talk about someone who's unreached, it's, it's a little bit different from someone who's unsaved. In fact, it's, it's a lot different from someone who's unsaved. Because someone who's unreached is someone who's not only not following Jesus, but they couldn't follow Jesus even if they wanted to. They couldn't follow Jesus even if they wanted to. So, so what does this mean? How does it play out? Well, someone who's unreached has little or maybe even no access to a Bible in their language, to a church in their city or country, or even to a Christian who could walk up to them and share the gospel with them. Three billion people in the 1040 window who are unreached. Three billion people that unless something changes, they will be born, live their entire lives, and die without ever having access to the gospel. They can't know Jesus even if they wanted to. And that is a problem. That's a problem. The 1040 window brings up like a lot of emotions in me. It makes me really sad. It also makes me really mad. Because how can a place like this still exist? It's, it's 2021. How, how is there 3 billion people living and dying without access to the greatest news in the entire world? I think I have to turn that question back on myself. I have to turn that question back on us. How, how is this place still exist? Well, it's because we tend to make the Great Commission an option. We tend to make the Great Commission an option to be considered rather than a command to be obeyed. But Jesus has purchased people in this box with his blood. And what a privilege it is to join God in this mission. Like, it, the 1040 window is a problem, but what a privilege it is for us to join him in what he's doing and take the gospel to the 1040 window. Like we see that God is on this mission. We see that there's still so much need in the world. So what do we do in response? How do we respond to God's mission? Well, Paul gives us practical next steps that we can play in God's mission. He, he says this in Romans 10. He says, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So Paul gives us two practical next steps to join God in his mission in Romans 10. He says that we can go and we can send. We can go and we can send. So what does this mean for us in Kent, Washington? How can we go? How can we send to join God in his mission? Well, we can go here, we can go there, and we can send by praying and by giving. So what does it mean to go here? God has brought the 1040 window to Kent, Washington. Kent is one of the most diverse cities in the entire country, and God is bringing the 1040 window, God is bringing unreached people to this city. 
So what a privilege it is for us to join God in his mission by reaching the nations without even leaving this city. And we can reach international students. We can reach internationals who are coming here for work because for the first time in these people's lives, they have access to the gospel because they have access to you. And we can join God in his mission by reaching people from the 1040 window without even leaving Kent. So, so my challenge is to make an international student friend or an international worker friend or someone who is here from the 1040 window meet someone. Like, uh, my, my prayer is that our eyes would be open to see the nations in Kent, that God is bringing the nations here. We can join God in his mission by sharing the gospel with the nations in Kent. We can also go there. We, we heard from Kyle that we, we can go there. We can go to the Middle East through Calvary. That we can go on trips to take the gospel where it's not. Because the reality is, is that people are going to have to be sent to see the 1040 window reached. We can't just stay in camp. We have to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so my, my prayer is that people from this church would go to the 1040 window and would go for large amounts of time. That people would give not just a year, not just two years, but would give the rest of their lives to see the 1040 window reach with the gospel. That even children in, in the nursery right now or even children in Sunday school would go, would grow to be missionaries and go to the 1040 window. And what would it look like for us to give some amount of time to go to the 1040 window? Maybe a summer, maybe a year, maybe our retirement, maybe the rest of our lives. We can also send. We can send by praying and by giving. We can see that Jesus in his ministry in Luke 10 too, he walks up to his disciples. He sees that the crowds are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he comes up to his disciples and he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. We see that the harvest is plentiful, that there are three billion people without access to the gospel, and we're only, the church, the global church, is only sending about 4% of our cross-cultural workers to the 1040 window. There's a great disparity between those two. Three billion people unreached, and we're only sending 4% of our missionaries. So what do we do? We ask God to raise up more laborers. So let's pray for unreached people. Let's pray for more missionaries. Let's pray for God to reach the nations with the gospel. We can also give. And I know that with giving, regardless of where we are in life, it, it can be like, oh, I just, I just don't have enough money to give right now. I, I can't give much. I'm not asking you to give some substantial amount of money. I'm asking you to give sacrificially. We see a great example of this in the widow in the New Testament that, that Jesus calls his disciples' attention to who's giving money in the temple. In the midst of all these really religious people who are giving hundreds and thousands of dollars, this widow gives her last two pennies. And Jesus commends her and praises her for giving her last two pennies, not because it was some vast amount of money, but because she was giving sacrificially. So what does it look like for us to give sacrificially? To give sacrificially to our missionaries who are being sent by Calvary, to give sacrificially to missions organizations who are taking the gospel the 1040 window. Now, I want to draw this distinction really quickly, really clearly. Like, we see that we can go and send, but I think naturally we view going and sending as like A team and B team, or varsity and JV, or something like that. But that is, that is 100% not true. That this is not varsity and JV or A team, B team. Both are equally needed. Both are equally valuable. And in that same sense, they should both be equally sacrificial. Because it's incredibly sacrificial for someone to pick up their lives and move to the, to the Middle East or to China. And it should be just as sacrificial for us to stay behind and pray and give to make sure they can stay there. It's not A team, B team, but both equally needed, equally sacrificial. So we see that God's on this mission. We see that the 1040 window is a place that we need to focus on. That going and sending is our part, our, our response to play. But I want to end with this. 
I want to end with this. This is the promise. This is a picture of heaven that we could take to the bank that God is going to complete his mission. God is going to fulfill this. He's going to do it. And that promise, that picture is found in Revelation 7, 9. This is a picture of heaven that John writes this. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before Jesus. Revelation 7, 9 is what God is about. And this is what God is doing. Starting in Genesis, working all the way to Revelation, he's on a mission to bring every tribe, tongue, people, and nation before the feet of Jesus to worship him forever. And what's wild is that God invites us to join him in that mission. And there's nothing better that we can do with our lives. There's nothing bigger than this. There's nothing more eternal than this. This is the greatest thing that we can give our lives to is joining God in his mission. So I want to actually give us the opportunity to join God in his mission this morning. And the way I'm going to have us do that is in in a few minutes, I'm just going to pause for maybe 30 seconds or so. And I just want you to, to, to talk to God or talk to someone next to you or even after the service is over, talk to a table outside in the lobby about what God is calling, calling or what God is laying on your heart to do, a practical next step that you can join God in his mission. So for some of us, maybe that's following Jesus this morning for the first time. Maybe that means uh, trying to make an international friend. Maybe that means praying about going overseas for some amount of time. Maybe that's giving sacrificially. Maybe that's, that's maybe you don't know what that looks like. Maybe you don't know what a next step is, but you know that you want to join God in his mission. So I'm going to give us about 30 seconds just to pause here to think through about what, what God is, is laying on your heart, what a next step you can, you can do to take God in his mission, and then I will pray us close. The worship team will come up. Father, we come before you this morning and worship you as the God of all nations, as the God of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. God, Jesus, you are, you are worthy of the worship of all people, and, and we thank you for that gospel. The gospel is the greatest blessing that we could ever receive, and so that is the blessing that we take to the ends of the earth. So, God, we just ask that you will use this church, God, that you will use Calvary to reach the nations with the gospel by going and by sending. God, how would, how would you use us? What do you want with our time? What do you want with our money? What do you want with our degrees? What do you want with our jobs? Is it yours? God, we want to use